0: Hi, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour at CoveyCast, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Anybody who is terrified of baking, anybody who loves to bake, and anybody who just wants to understand how do you tap into the $12 billion U.S. home baking business as an entrepreneur will love the discussion today that we're having with Agat Azaleen Lichten, who is the founder of Red Velvet New York City NYC.com, Red NYC.com, which is the Red Velvet. And what she's done brilliantly is taken the idea of food in a box, which up until now has been strictly your main meal, turned it into something really sweet which is now it's your bakery stuff that comes in a box all pre-measured. And all you have to do is spend the time and bake it and you have a wonderful product that your family can gather around and enjoy or your girlfriend's table with a bunch of girlfriends who claim they're not going to eat it and then an hour later find out that it's all gone. So. It's a wonderful thing, you know I am a busy baker. It is one of my favorite things to do when somebody else is trying trying to introduce baking to other people because it's incredibly artistic, it's incredibly rewarding, and it's something you can share. There's very few things that you can share like food. And as we're trying to build A community here at Covey. I think we should do everything we can to create that kind of community. And so I'm very excited to have Agat. And here she is. We are so excited to have Agat, Azaleen Lichten here today from the Red Velvet Baking Company. And all of you people who follow me know I am a, oh God, what? It's obsessive baker. And um, I just love this idea that Agat has, which is taking the whole baking in a box, but the way that, you know, it's been dinner in a box, but turning it into baking in a box so that you have all the pre-measured proportions, all the pre-measured items right at your door and you can be a fabulous baker. So welcome, Agat. I'm so glad we're having a chance to talk to you and good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you about
1: baking today.
0: Yes. No, my favorite topic. I am an obsessive baker. Um, Everybody knows that about me. Um, I often have on my Facebook page, much to the chagrin of my friends who are big branders, it's like cats, baking, and women's issues. How does that fit together? But it does in my (laughs) mind. (laughs) <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk a bit about your personal history, like where you grew up, where you went to school, and then we want to talk about how the heck you got from Harry Winston and Sotheby's into baking. Sure.
1: So I grew up in Philadelphia, not too far oh, away. Oh, good. New York, My husband's City, from Philly I am now. Yes. <laughs> and um, I went to undergrad in Boston at Boston University. I actually studied art history. Um, okay. I've always been passionate about the arts. And right after undergrad, I ended up working at Sotheby's Auction House uh, in New York. Uh, Prior to that, during college, I actually interned for them both in Paris and in the Boston offices. So Sotheby's was, you know, very much a part of my my college life and followed me when I graduated um, as I lived in New York. And I spent four years working there before I went to graduate school. Um, and having grown up in the gourmet food business and always been in and around the hospitality industry, I really wanted to kind of continue that education. Um, and I really felt as though with a liberal arts uh, degree um, in undergrad, which was you know, tremendously helpful and super interesting, I felt like I missed a lot of business acumen that was really important working for, you know, a multinational company that, you know, was very sophisticated. And so I ended up going to business school in Lausanne, Switzerland. I went to the the Cotteriaire de Lausanne, yes, and got my MBA in hospitality, which to me was much more interesting than a finance MBA. That just seemed too boring. (laughs) Okay, I'm with you on that. Sorry.
0: I said I'm with you on that.
1: Yes, definitely. So I ended up living in Switzerland for just about two years. And when I graduated, I actually ended up going back to Sotheby's. I knew I wanted to eventually end up in the hospitality business, but um, Sotheby's was just one of those places that welcomed me back with open arms. And I ended up working on the marketing side of the business as opposed to the art side of the business. So I saw a completely different side um, of you know, what an auction house uh, does and, and how the inner workings um, really play out Um, and Mm -hmm. when I was at Sotheby's I was working mostly on uh, jewelry, diamonds, um, watches and so immediately after that I ended up working for Richemont Group um, and I worked for a small Swiss watch brand called Jaeger LeCoultre where I did a lot of the marketing and partnership marketing especially Um, and after that I ended up going to Harry Winston and doing the same thing there so I was leading global partnership marketing um, so it was sort of a natural transition from luxury to sort of, you know, more luxury and right. dealing with less art but more jewelry and watches. Um, and all the while, you know, I was still very passionate about what I had grown up in and around, which was great food. Um, I feel like I had, you know, a great childhood just surrounded by interesting foods. My father owned an import-export company of Gourmet. Um, gourmet ah, food products that, Okay. you know, at the time of, you know, this is kind of when Juliet child was very popular and Americans weren't really exposed to a lot of gourmet foods quite yet. And so right. my father was importing foods from France and Italy and Spain and, you know, caviar from Russia at the time when it was, <laughs> when, it, when we were actually allowed to do that. Um mm-hmm. And so I grew up with this real appreciation for what it meant to, you know, cook great food with really great ingredients. And I've always loved to cook and bake myself. And Mm -hmm. um, my sister and I were, you know, always talking about the latest things that we had cooked or baked or tried. And working in New York City, you end up working long hours. And so when the meal kit craze started five years ago, we were one of the earliest sort of Blue Apron adopters.
0: Uh Aha, okay.
1: We loved the idea that something showed up on our door, that, you know, we got to make dinner from scratch and feed ourselves with, you know, ingredients and recipes that, you know, maybe we were discovering. And we, we have a very strong sweet tooth. And so we always talked about how
0: disappointing it was. that
1: <laughs> <laughs> We were so disappointed that there was no option for dessert. And uh-huh. that's really when the idea for Red Velvet NYC came about. We wanted to sort of fill that gap of, you know, actually creating a dessert from scratch and satisfying that sweet tooth. If it's an everyday sweet tooth or a sweet tooth that revolves around, you know, a a celebratory occasion, because for us, that's really what dessert is about. But we realized as we were starting to work on this project and dig into, you know, this problem, it was that a lot of people shied away from baking because, you know, it can seem cumbersome or daunting, right. um, and as we started asking a lot of those questions, you know, it kind of became very clear that baking is not easy, and That's right. um, we were kind of on a mission to to figure out a way to actually make it fun, um, because we enjoyed it, what we noticed a lot of others did not. <laughs>
0: Yeah, a lot of um, friends, you know, are afraid of it. I had to teach one friend um, how to make cupcakes. She was terrified. And I think yeah. that's because, I guess the reason why I like it it is is because it's so precise. It's a lot like chemistry, and I loved chemistry as a kid. I had chemistry sets and all that. But if you don't like that, it's not like when, you know, you're making chicken, if you throw in a little bit too much Time or use a little bit too much butter, your dinner's not killed. But if you do that with baking, you put in too much butter, the thing is a greasy mess. So
1: exactly, I think that's
0: part of the issue, right?
1: It is, absolutely. I think that there's just so many factors that go into baking, whether it's, you know, the measuring, um, finding a foolproof recipe. Um, there's so many recipes out there, but you never really know what's good until you try it. Um, buying a lot of specialty ingredients and having them sit on a shelf and go rancid over the course of the year. I don't know how many times people have told me, oh, I make pumpkin pie once a year, but I always have to buy all the spices all over again every time, you know, Thanksgiving comes around. Um, And so the idea was really, you know, along with that, it's also people don't always have the right bakeware at home. Um, You know, not everyone has a bundt pan or a tart pan or even a cupcake tray. And so for us, it was really, wow, this problem is not just that people are, you know, intimidated by it, it's that they just don't even lack the tools and the resources.
0: So, Agat, you started working on Red Velvet while you had a regular job. That's often a suggestion that I give people who are saying, oh, my God, I have a full-time job. I know I need to reinvent myself, but I don't know how to do it. I'm, I'm too pressed for time. How do I do that? And one of the suggestions is start it on the weekends, start it in the evenings. Um, our kids call it a side hustle. So how did you do yeah. that? And why did you decide to do that? Was it a financial decision? Was it that you really weren't sure? What was your yeah, thinking? Yeah, I
1: think it was, a, it was a combination of things. You know, I had worked in corporate America for about 10 years when I you know, decided that I really wanted to leave and do my own thing. You know, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So my father had his own company. My mother had her own company. Mm-hmm. It was kind of um, my sister, you know, also started her own thing. She's just a year younger than me. So she had ne- ne- never, I was really the only one working for corporate America. And um, I loved it. I, I really loved my job, especially at Harry Winston. So it was bittersweet leaving that that position. But I always kind of knew in the back of my mind that I would do my own thing. And, you know, sort of, I have, I think I grew up with this mentality that you have to create your own destiny. Um, But Mm, living in New York, (laughs) living in New York is um, not an easy task. Obviously it's a very expensive place. Um, And so, you know, without really knowing too much, you know, I had this idea, I started researching it. And then I started more seriously digging into it. And I kind of realized this is, this is, you know, if I do this, this is going to be a major undertaking. It's going to take over a lot of my time, a lot of my energy, and mm-hmm. a lot of my money. And so I decided that um, I read a few books, one of them being The Lean Startup, which I think every uh-huh. entrepreneur... Yeah, Lean Startup The Lean
0: Startup is uh, key to anything. I agree.
1: Agreed. So I kind of decided that, you know, I would essentially start saving money um, for as long as I could. And I really wanted to launch the company in the fall of 2015 because I, I wanted to launch right before the holidays, as I thought it's a great time to at least, you know, really test it. Um, so I worked on the company for about a year before actually, you know, making that full time leap to, you know, just Red Velvet. But I moved home with my parents, I lived with them for a year and a half. Um, luckily, my parents live in New York City, so I was able to live, you know, with them, save a lot of money by not paying rent, and I really just, you know, started making different decisions. But I think you have to when you're really passionate about something, you have to say to yourself there are some sacrifices that have to be made here. Um, and while you shouldn't leave your day job right away, um, I think you know, for us, we we went through beta testing while I was still working full time and. You know, it did take up all my nights and all my weekends, but, you know, I'm glad that I did it that way. I'm glad that I went through the exercise of creating an MVP, of testing it, getting a lot a of A minimal people viable back, product for people do who don't research. know. <laughs> I'm sorry?
0: A minimal viable product. They won't know what an exactly. MVP is if, if yeah, they're not, you they yeah, an entrepreneur. The book, but... <laughs> yes.
1: So, yeah, I think that, you know, at, at one point you just have to take the leap because. I don't think you can kind of continue to straddle both at the same time. But, you know, for me it was, I'm gonna get my ducks in a row as best I can. And at some point or another, I think you just need to jump. Mm-hmm.
0: So, okay, well that explains a lot in terms of um, why you have to do it. What do you think specifically are the challenges coming from a corporate life?
1: So I think that you know, what's great about corporate America, and I always tell people that I could never do what I'm doing today if I hadn't spent a decade working in, you know, um, working in, working in that environment, um, and, and really getting that structure and that basis. But I think that one of the hardest parts about adjusting to being an entrepreneur is that it's a lot of solo time. Um, especially if you're bootstrapping and you don't have a huge team um, you know when you work in corporate America generally you're working on a you're working with a t- team and right. maybe that team is really small and there's only three or four people or maybe it's quite large and there's 20 but you're always surrounded with a team um, you're supported um, and and you feel like you you're not in it alone I think that as an entrepreneur One of the things I hear and and talk about now looking back is that it's kind of shocking to all of a sudden be on your own. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not motivated, um, if if you're not a self-starter, it might be difficult to wake up in the morning. Um, I know a lot of people talk about, you know, do you need an accountability coach? Do you need someone to make sure that you're doing your job every day? Um, Because really no one's holding you to anything other than you. Um, so I think if you're if you're anything less than you know two hundred percent passionate it might be difficult to get things done on a daily basis um,
0: so I, I yeah I, I found nice. I found the inertia shocking the the daily mm-hmm. inertia of you get up every single day with a blank slate, unlike yeah. corporate life where there is a momentum that you just jump into every single day things sure. are happening you jump in you grab hold of whatever you have to grab hold of. Literally, when you're an entrepreneur nothing happens if you don't take that rock every single morning and start pushing it up the hill, it just sits there. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing that's going to move it without Absolutely. you. It's a very Absolutely. weird change of, um, of direction if you're used to corporate momentum, I think.
1: I agree with you. I think that, you know, when you get I, yeah, I think I completely agree with you. Um, it's definitely a dramatic change. Um, and it's, you know, it can be lonely at first. It's um,
0: very lonely, really lonely. Yeah. And yeah. the irony for <laughs> me, I got, is that I thought I didn't want to be a writer at this point in my life because it's too solitary. Because right. I am a writer by trade, but it's really a solitary business. And I had yeah. no idea entrepreneurialism is so solitary as well. So it is something that people have to realize. And, you know, once you're up and rolling, I mean, I suppose now you, how how old is your business now?
1: So we just turned two. Um, So, you know, and I've done a lot to surround myself with other entrepreneurs and Mm -hmm. to really build a strong network. But, I mean, I remember the first year was, I mean, it was painful. Um, The first six months. You know, I was so used to having people around me all day, and then I was just by myself. Um, yeah, And that was tough. really hard. And, you know, my sister and I started this company together, but we never sat together. So we we would chat all day, and she was 100% my rock. But, um, you know, it was just the two of us. And I was, you know, she was in charge of a lot, a lot of the sort of technology side of things, and I was kind of in charge of everything else. And so... Yeah, you 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 know there's it what's great about having someone to at least talk to and rely on as a partner is that you can bounce ideas off of them. You feel like you have some type of um sounding board, but otherwise yes. it it is very lonely.
0: <laughs> yes, and, <laughs> um, but, and and no sounding board is really tough also if you've been a manager in corporate life where you always get a sounding board. If you have an idea, you can pop into three offices and noodle an idea around and make it better. When you're by yourself, it's like, oh, okay, who am I going to... I think this is a good idea. I'm not completely sure.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um, and you kind of just have to trust your gut. And I think that you know, for me, one of the key takeaways is network as much as you can um, and and build build a community. Um, that's really important. I think that with what I love most about the food Startup world is that it's a very inclusive community and mm-hmm. people are really trying to help one another. Um, it's not competitive in the way that, well, that's I think, you know, what I was used to, luxury tends to be very competitive. Yes. Um, people are genuinely interested in helping you succeed. And I feel very fortunate to be sort of surrounded by a lot of those people um, now on, you know, not a daily basis, but very frequently.
0: Yeah, I find the same thing. What's really interesting is publishing was viciously competitive. And now that I'm out of publishing, doing my own thing, how generous everybody is, even some of those people who were vicious competitors before, I guess because I'm no longer seen as a competitor that way. Right. Um, But it's so very interestingly different, and I really appreciate it. And there's a lot of genuine – I mean, I'm completely continually shocked by the – I would say ninety percent of the people I meet, and the second sentence they say is, "How can I help you?" And they mean right. it; it's not BS.
1: No, one hundred percent. I think the same goes for for the people I encounter all the time, um, and, and that's it. It's, it feels ve- yeah, I feel very lucky to have that.
0: So talk a little bit about how reinventing your career has forced you to reinvent your wardrobe because I found that same thing. I'm sitting here in my ripped jeans and my, you know, a t-shirt and um, before in the old days I'd be in my, you know, my tight sheath dress with my Spanx and my high heels and those are sitting in my closet. I'm thinking of selling the last ones of them because I just don't know that I'm ever going to wear them again.
1: Yeah, I'm literally wearing the exact same thing you are, <laughs> and I <laughs> okay. have the exact same problem. I'm I'm short. I'm five foot two. So I'm five working in corporate America.
0: The, you got to think tall.
1: Exactly. So I always wear four inch heels every day. Um, I have an entire closet full of really nice high heels and dresses um, because I was always customer facing. And so, yeah, I have an entire closet. I've sold a good amount of my clothing, um, but yeah, I show up in jeans and a t-shirt and sneakers most days. Um, and you, but the yeah, I, it's very different. I I don't wear any of my, you know, what I like to call my grown-up clothes anymore. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, it's different. I think that there's. I do miss it sometimes. I think that when you dress for a job, you feel a certain way and gives you some yes. confidence but i think that for me because i'm still spending a good amount of time you know in the operational um part of the company and i am at the warehouse some days that it does require me to to dress a certain way um it's it's definitely easier to get dressed in the morning um, isn't it <laughs> it's
0: so much easier <laughs> though i feel like you know after spending you know 9 years at vogue and i ran mary claire for 5 years it's like right. I'm like saying to myself, I look at myself in the mirror sometimes, and I'm like, have I lost it? Like, do I have to put clothes together anymore? Because this is looking a little ratty. But yeah. it's kind of funny and, and rewarding at the same time. It is, so yeah. So talk a little bit about your financial challenges. How did you surmount that? Because um, what was interesting is doing the research, I didn't realize home baking is a $12 billion business in the U.S.
1: It is. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. We, um, so I I explained to you, I, I, you know, I saved a lot of money, um, living with my parents and kind of being very frugal. Um, and my sister and I decided that we really wanted to start the business with, you know, a small amount of money that, you know, we would see how far we could actually get with it. And we said to ourselves, there's this huge untapped industry Um, or market, and, you know, the best way to kind of figure out if we can make a dent in it is, you know, let's start small. Um, This isn't a meal kit. You know, people don't need to bake every week. Um, You know, most people don't really think they need to bake at all. Um, (laughs) You know, we're trying to change that. But, you know, we thought, you know, let's let's see what we can do with, you know, a, a very small amount of money. And so, you know, we are at this point, we're still bootstrapped two years in and the business is really just running itself. Um, We're growing organically. And, um, you know, it's challenging uh, not having any outside funding. On the other hand, it's great because we're still the masters of, you know, our own business. That's Um, great. We still get to make all of the decisions. Yeah. So there's a pro and a con to everything. Uh, You know, a lot of, a lot of people tell us you should really get funding. Um, wow. you know you really need investors. Why don't you go get VC money? And you know, just kind of um, noticing what's going on in you know sort of the food tech world and what's happening with a lot of that VC money or companies that have been given that VC money um, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be, you know, a a solid path ahead or it's going to be sustainable growth. So for us right now, we're really just heading towards profitability. You know, that's our number one goal is let's get, let's become profitable as fast as we can. Um, and let's see, you know, how quickly we can make, you know, our investment, um, grow positive. Um, so, you know, it's, it forces us to think creatively all the time. We've had to get really creative with the partnerships and, um, the press and just anything that we're doing, you know, we're always thinking about the bottom line and the return on investment and you know, what every little thing is going to do for us. So, um, it's great. It, it really does force us to spend our money in a very smart way. Um, but, you know, we also have challenges where we'd love to do something, but it's just out of our budget right now.
0: Right. So, I mean, and we all know that it's uh, something like 2% of all funding from VCs go to women, and then you've got a business that is highly female because it's in yeah. baking, um, and these guys don't even understand what the heck you're doing. So that, right. that's one of the major impediments, I'm afraid. It so, is, and I think that there's a, a lot of, of
1: a lot of bias, even if it's unconscious. I think that yeah. you know there's a lot more awareness right now. I think that yes, you know, investing in women has really been brought to the forefront. But yes. yeah, I think that you know our customer is really a woman who you know lives in the suburbs and um, is you know generally between the ages of thirty five and sixty.
0: Um, ah, that's, okay. That's really our covey target. club. So, so that's exactly who <laughs> our our uh, our members are.
1: That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I think that and those those are really our our core customers. And so, yeah, I find it it will be challenging if we do have to face you know VC investors who generally are you know older men. Um, it's going to be very difficult to you know, get them to understand you know the challenges around baking. And, you know, what our demographic is looking for. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see what happens.
0: <laughs> so what is, what is your biggest seller? And what was the biggest surprise behind the business? What are you selling the most of? Anything that you were surprised by? Yeah.
1: yeah I, well, yes and no. Um, you know, when we started, we wanted to have, I think, 20 or 25 different baking kits on the menu At any given time. And we really wanted to start with an offering that, you know, had easy, moderate and advanced level desserts with, you know, desserts for different occasions, whether it's birthdays or dinner parties, anniversaries or, you know, your everyday sweet tooth. And, you know, we also wanted to appeal to different flavor offerings, whether it was, you know, Nutella cupcakes or lemon tart or carrot cake or, you know, red velvet cupcakes. Um so I think that our biggest surprise has probably been the fact that most of our customers are novice bakers. Mm-hmm. Um most most avid bakers already have the tools and the ingredients and we do have some of those customers who love the convenience and the ability to try new recipes.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: our our largest demographic is is really people who are very eager to try to learn how to bake and don't necessarily have that much time to look up a recipe or go to the uh-huh. store or find almond flour or pecan flour or uh-huh. maple extract or, you know, lavender, fresh lavender buds. Um, and so we do, you know, a lot of that work for them. Um, I think that, we were also surprised by the fact that at the end of the day, people like tried and true classics.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Sellers. Yeah. Our top sellers are, you know, for like the cake and dessert category, tiramisu, carrot cake, um, red velvet cake, coffee cake. Those are the kind of, yeah. Family style desserts that people love the most. And then for cupcakes, our top sellers are red velvet cupcakes for sure. Um, And then we have a celebration cupcake, which is essentially a a funfetti cupcake. It's a birthday cupcake. It comes with gold candles and it's got two different types of sprinkles. And it's just kind of like that classic white um, vanilla cupcake that has Mm -hmm. sprinkles. And um, it's just great for, you know, an everyday celebration. So, I think that we were shocked, you know, we came up with other fun recipes like matcha cupcakes, which do well, but not as well as everything that is, you know, really classic. I think that that was kind of a shock to us that people don't necessarily need sort of that hot, trendy new flavor. They really want to master that classic dessert that maybe their grandmother made. Um, Oh, how lovely. And Yeah. So I think that was kind of a shock for us. you know, at the end of the day, we really just go back to the classics and getting them, you know, to be perfect and to, you know, to make them as easy as possible so that people can pull off, you know, a masterpiece at
0: home. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, do you give a video or something? How do people who are really afraid of baking or have never done it, mm-hmm. how, do they, how do they follow? Is it instruction wise or how are you yeah. getting them over that fear?
1: Sure. So we um, include a step-by-step recipe card with every baking kit. It also exists online. So depending on how you like to bake, either you like to bake with something, you know, in front of you that's a physical card or maybe you're on your iPhone or your iPad. Um, and so, you know, every every instructional card has at least six images on it. Um, we'd like to include more images, but there's only so much room on Um, a piece of paper, but anything else that's supplementary exists online. So we're in the process of, we've created about seven different videos for our recipes. Um, We create a lot of GIFs just by, you know, using a lot of photographs to create a mini video. And we try to include as much supplementary information on the website as possible. So we have a glossary of terms that has images along with it. Um, and we write our recipes with a novice baker in mind. So okay. a lot of what we heard at the very beginning was, oh, I don't really know what you mean by this.
0: And wow. so we're okay.
1: we're explaining a lot of basic terms um, like folding. Folding is a term that I think we encounter a lot in baking, especially wow. if you're trying to create something nice mo- nice and moist and fluffy. And a lot of people were like, I don't know what that is. So we had to kind wow. of come up with a way to explain folding is, you know, up, you know, over, down, and around, you know, gently with a spatula. And, you know, people then got it. Um, And then, you know, we try to create as much content as we can. So the great part about being a small company is that we're always improving and innovating um, and and iterating as well. So someone tells us, oh, I didn't really fully understand that. We hear out a few times, we change our recipe card. But we, I have to say, we've been really impressed by the quality of what our home bakers are turning out and they are so impressed with themselves and I think Uh that's part of what we were going after is we really wanted to empower our bakers and to make them feel really good about what it is that they're creating and they post a lot of photos on social media and we love reposting and it makes me so happy when I see our bakers posting images and saying like I made this from scratch and you that's know, people great. don't believe them. Like, no, you got that from a bakery. Um, <laughs> It's fun to hear those stories. So for yes. them, they're so intimidated. Like, I don't think I can do this. And whenever I'm, you know, talking to people in person, we do a lot of pop-ups and events. I get a lot of that, you know, one-on-one interaction where people tell me, like, oh, I don't know how to bake. I, I don't think I could pull that off. And right. so we give them that confidence. And that makes me really happy because that's really what we're after. Um, Because right. I have so much fun in the kitchen. There's really no reason that someone else can't have fun in the kitchen.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, and it is very rewarding, and there's nothing like baking because you can share the reward. That's what's so great about it. And it's beautiful and it's sweet, and people love it. It is a wonderful way. I found, um, and maybe that's why, but I've always been a baker, but one of the things with my kids growing up, is everybody could be somewhere else and everybody could be on their iPhone on the third floor. And if you said, there's cake downstairs um, in the kitchen. <laughs> Funny thing, about 90 kids appear from all portions of the house, including your husband yeah. who, you know, has had his nose in the newspaper. It's amazing mm, yeah. how it brings people <laughs> together. Yeah, That's absolutely. what's cool. So any challenges for being a female entrepreneur, not that you had any choice about that, right? <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I think that, you know, um, I think what we kind of collectively decided is that we are much, we feel much better when we're surrounded by other female entrepreneurs. Um, because there's really a sense of let's help one another. Um, yes. Which I don't know if that really exists um, when we're not just surrounded by other women entrepreneurs. And, you know, um, there's plenty of great male entrepreneurs out there. But we've definitely found that women are really trying to help each other right now um, I agree. and doing anything that they can. And so we've just decided that we feel better when we talk to other women. Um, and so we've applied to, you know, female pitch competitions and, you know, surrounded ourselves with female advisors. And I think that there's maybe a sense of, um, let's do this together. And, you know, we're more powerful when we, you know, combine all of our effort and intelligence. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, I think it's just for us, it's just been easier to, to sort of build that
0: community. Cool. So, is yeah. there any advantage to not being a millennial entrepreneur? Most most entrepreneur discussions are about millennials, and that's what's making CoveyCast so successful. Is that it's not about that; it's about women who've got some, you know, wear and tear on them, and have a network and understand business, um, and they're not they're not starting from nowhere. Do sure. you find that to be an advantage in any way, or is it a drawback? Or
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Um, I'm technically a millennial, if you count 82 as the cutoff. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, okay. Um, But I joke with my friends that none of us feel like millennials. Um, Right. You know, we entered the workforce, you know, we all graduated college around 2005, and we entered the workforce where the mentality was you have to work really hard to get ahead. Um, Mm -hmm. nothing was going to be given to you. And I think a lot of that has shifted, especially when I hear my friends talk about, um, the younger, you know, sort of new members of their teams, um, you know, for anyone who's still working in corporate America. And I think that, I think it's a combination of the fact that I was also raised that way. Our parents Mm -hmm. worked really hard, um, to build their businesses. And so it was, you know, we kind of just saw that as an example. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, for us, not only not being millennial entrepreneurs is, is is one side of things, but I think that we're also not selling to millennials. So wow. none of our marketing and none of our positioning is geared towards that younger audience because what we found is that women with families um, and women who, you know, appreciate uh, cosmopolitan flavors and really want to you know, reach for that Pinterest perfect home. And, you know, those are our customers. Um, and mm-hmm. so everything that we do is is really geared towards women who are not millennials. So I, to be honest, I don't really spend much time thinking about millennials and I don't feel like a millennial. So I think that, you know, that's kind of my realm of thinking these days.
0: Um, right. You don't sound like a millennial, either. I have two wonderful millennials, <laughs> but you don't sound like a millennial. So, it, And yeah. I love them dearly. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just a different no. mindset in many ways.
1: It is. It's very different. Um, it, it really is.
0: So for the end of our discussion here, can you just leave the CoveyCast listeners with three concrete tips or tricks that they can use I like to say tomorrow that can get them on their mm-hmm. way towards being a successful reinventor. A lot of women who are listening to this, you know, they're in corporate life, they may have been there more than 10 years, they may um, be top in their field, but feeling like they're bored, they may feel they've got a target on their back because they've got a large salary and there's, you know, their their institutions are being disrupted. What are they going to do next? How are they going to figure it out? Um, a lot of women are interested in the baking area, but they think, oh my god, how would I, I, how would I make a living at this? And they, what I'm trying to do with the Covey cast is encourage them to really look at all the inspirational women like you out there and see what they can learn from that and how they can take those sort of inspirational tips and tricks and apply them to their own situation. So any thoughts for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I talk to a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs or people who have ideas um, to start a company. And I think that, you know, for me, I always tell people, read the lean startup. Try to get as much feedback on whatever it is you're going to try to do before you actually take that leap. Um, and I think that no matter what, you're going to take the leap and you're going to encounter things that you never thought you would encounter. And right, you, there's really no way to predict the future. Um, and you have no idea what you're going to get yourself into no matter how prepared you are. But I think that if you really spend time doing research and talking to people who are maybe in that industry, going to networking events um, and meet-up groups to see what's already out there to maybe talk to industry leaders, I think that being as prepared as you are in terms of you know what is the real market for this and you know how big is it and who are the other players I think is you know, hugely important um, I so think, do
0: your homework and do your research and read the lean startup yeah okay
1: I think so and then I think you know find. You know, if you're going to do it on your own, great. If there's a way to do it with a partner, um, someone you can really trust, um, who you know is going to have your back, uh, definitely go that route. Um, I, I could not have done this without the help of my sister. Um, she's, you know, we still talk all day, every day. And she's, you know, my wonder, my number one strategist and my my, my rock in a lot of ways, Um and so, you know, if you can find a partner, great. If not, that's okay too. But um it it's been great for me. Um and then I think just, you know, have the just have the the confidence in yourself to know that you know, if you work hard at anything, you will get somewhere. Um it might take time and it might take twice as long as you think it's going to, but I think I don't know. I, my mentality is kind of just keep plugging away, keep working at it, and eventually something will happen. Um, that's what I tell myself every day.
0: So, <laughs> that's uh, what I tell myself one, every day as well. That would be the case,
1: but that's that's my mentality. Every day is kind of just keep plug, keep plugging along, and and know that if you work so hard in your career, working for corporate America, let's say then there's no doubt in my mind that you can do something on your own, um, you know, in a fantastic way.
0: Right. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. I'm so thrilled to have had you here.
1: Yes, you. And
0: I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are going to want to go to the, so it's actually the um, URL is, is it red velvet. NYC.co or how, say it
1: again?
0: RedVelvetNYC.com. RedVelvetNYC.com. But you sell beyond NYC. You're selling out of New York City.
1: We do. We sell to, we shipped 28 states right now and we're working very hard to go national. So hopefully that'll happen in the next few
0: weeks. Okay, because a lot of uh, my listeners won't be in New York City, so that's great. And they can sign up and there's gifting time right for Christmas. Are there special gift programs for Christmas or for holiday?
1: Yeah, so the way um, the website is structured is that there are uh, about 30 different baking kits available right now. And any of those can be gifted. Um, you can choose uh, a gift uh, at checkout and include a nice gift message. And then you can actually choose the day that it arrives. and that, you know, applies to all of our baking kits, the idea is that you could plan ahead. So if you want your package delivered on December 22nd, we can make that happen, even if you order it today. Um, And then we also have a few gift sets. And uh, we have a boutique with some bakeware and fun accessories. And uh, we also have a monthly subscription, which can be gifted as well. Um, So lots to choose from. And I think we even have a special discount code for the listeners.
0: Oh, and good. A special I, discount code for Covey listeners. OK, get out your pens, people. I, I know, right? And um, the code is Covey Club. So
1: they will get. All free right, you don't shipping. need a pen. <laughs> OK, so you can enter <laughs> yeah, Covey Club
0: you, <laughs> when it asks you exactly for a code.
1: Yep, that's going to get anyone free shipping. Um, by oh, using
0: fabulous. Covey Club. Great. Yeah. That's wonderful. So you get free shipping. Um, use the word Covey Club when it asks you for a special code or discount word, and that will be it. That is wonderful. What a wonderful gift for the cast listeners. And I want to yeah. tell you, thank you, Agat, for being part of this today. Thank you for the special Little love for the Covey Club listeners who get to enter Covey Club in the special area on the site and get free shipping, which is fabulous. And I'm sure that a lot of people who probably were afraid of baking will join us in our, you know, our one of our favorite pastimes for relaxation and for bringing people together and creating community, which is baking.
1: That sounds and thank great. you so thank much for your time today. Thank you for, for, so much for having me. It was absolutely a pleasure talking to you.
0: Great. I want to thank you today for joining us in our discussion about the Red Velvet Baking Company with Agat Azaleen Lichten. And I hope you enjoyed our discussion and I hope you will all go to her site, which is redvelvetnyc.com and enter the special Covey Club free shipping discount number, which is not a number, but a word, Covey Club. You don't even have to write it down. Shipping from a god from the Red Velvet Baking Company. Isn't that sweet? Right in time for the holidays. Go check it out. And I want to thank you for joining us and for listening to The Covey Cast, which is the only podcast out there for women who are trying to and are living the best time of their life and are trying to figure out how do you reinvent yourself at this point? And if you enjoy The Covey Cast, I hope you will share it with your friends. I hope you will give us a rating because that helps us move up so people can find us. Give us a couple of stars and a good review, and we can reach out to more women who might be interested in CoveyCast. And I hope that you will join us for the next CoveyCast coming up, again, where we are going to talk to women reinventing themselves from all directions and enjoying this wonderful time of their lives. And thank you for joining us.